the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ain't it good to worship and adore a prison lord? Hear what they might say. Love Jesus it was because of the ascension of Jesus Christ that you and I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. Without that ascension, we wouldn't have the Spirit moving in and through us. Welcome. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, who continues with our series, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. Today, we are in John chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, as we take a look at the significance of Jesus going to heaven so that the Spirit of God might descend here on earth in Mass. With an amazing look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. John 17, 5. Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you from before the foundation of the world. Remember that? I'm ready to go back to my position of dignity. I'm ready to go back to occupying my position at your right hand. I'm ready to enjoy the glory of a full manifest deity. I'm ready, Lord, because my work down here is done. I'm ready to go back because when he goes back, not only will he be enjoying the right of his exalted status, as we learn, right? The Father has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. Christ is not going back merely to be exalted. He's going back because he loves dwelling with his father. He loves that relationship, that, that filial relationship that exists with his father. He enjoys his father delighting in him in that, that immediacy of relationship. And that ought to be an insight to you and I, because this is really talking about a father-son relationship. And all of us are sons of God by status. Am I making some sense? And what that means is you and I should long to be with our father. It's the reason why he gives us the spirit of adoption. In other words, you should never be settled with being down here. You're just a stranger down here. You're an alien down here. You're just passing by. And that thing in your soul that is continually dissatisfied with everything that goes... You know, the paycheck is cool, but it don't always meet the need, right? The house is cool, but it has problems, right? My spouse is cool, but I got issues with him, right? And and my children, I love them to death, but we all get on each other's nerves, right? What we know for sure is we're not in glory. And as David put it in Psalm 27, I will not be satisfied until I awake with your righteousness, until I awake looking like you, until I awake in that state of absolute glory. So our Lord is explaining to the disciples how to keep their affections on things above, on things above. This is that aspect of the Hebrew 12, 2 text where before the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Some point C, 
Not only does he go to his father in order to achieve a space or an abode for us, in order that he might receive us to himself, but in order to glorify the father in himself. This is really insightful. Look at John chapter 14, verse 8, because here Jesus now is going to take the disciples into the doctrine of the third person. This is what he's doing when he says, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going to my father, and I'm going to my father in order that I might send the comforter. And what the disciples are about to do is be taught about the spirit of God, which is what you are about to be Uh, be taught. What does it mean for Christ to send the comforter? So watch the language as he draws them in, starting at verse eight. After Christ has given those very astounding words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. And then he explained, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Are those amazing words? But what he knows is the disciples have just been blown away by that proposition. Because what I said earlier about throwing the football out in front, their job is to run with their hands out to catch the football once they see it in the sky. They don't see it yet, but Jesus sees it. Jesus knows that in a moment they will have the kind of, hear me now, saving knowledge of Christ that makes it clear that Christ came from God and is returning to God. And this knowledge of Christ and knowledge of God is what we call a saving knowledge because without it, you cannot be saved. And without you and I growing deeply and more committed to this exclusive claim that Jesus is the son of the living God, you and I are always in danger of scandalizing. You and I are always in danger of losing the gospel, losing Christ, losing salvation. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? always in danger of proving ourselves not to be the children of the living God. And so when he says this, Philip responds over in verse eight, this this way, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the father. And we'd be happy with that. Jesus said unto them, I have been with you so long and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has what? And how says thou then, show us the father? He reproves uh, Philip because sometimes that is what is to be done in order for our eyes to be open. He says, believeth thou not that I am in the father and the father is in me. Do you guys see that? Verse 10 explains and clarifies the false notion that we are making Jesus and the father the same person. Y'all following with me? Verse 10 says, me and the father are not the same person. It's just that when you see me, you see the father. That clarity needs to be made. Is that right? So we are talking about two distinct persons, but one of them is invisible. Who is he? The father. How is he comprehended? Only in the son. Where we properly comprehend the son, we then comprehend who? The father. And so what he says is, if you have seen me, you have seen the father Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now he's shaking them up because what he has done is let the disciples know all through his ministry that he's come from the Father. And they watched him for three and a half years do ministry, didn't they? Stay with me, you guys. Stay with me because this is very applicable to you. Jesus has given the disciples every evidence that he came from God. The disciples have watched Jesus hear from God himself. The heavens have opened up. 
The disciples have watched Jesus heal and raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind. The disciples have heard Jesus preach and teach in ways of which only the prophets have inquired and diligently saw and wanted to know. The uh, apostles have seen Jesus quiet the storm, quiet the seas. The, the apostles have watched Jesus do what only God could do. How do we know this? Peter affirmed it in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when he says, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost so that he went about doing good and healing and testifying to all around. And we were witnesses of these very things. Now, Peter is saying that in the post-resurrection of Christ because Peter has received what? The anointing of the Holy Ghost, by which he has a deeper more certain knowledge of God. Stay with me. Your knowledge may be right now very inadequate to keep you in the day of a severe trial. Your knowledge of God right now may be very inadequate to keep you in the day of a severe severe trial. Do you guys hear what I just stated? If you were banking on how much you know about God and then all hell broke loose in your life, some of us would be washed away by the trial because we don't know him deeply enough. And one of the critical reasons why we need the third person is for him to take us into a deep, deep, real saving knowledge of God at the level of faith working by love. It has to transcend our intellect. It has to transcend our experiences. It has to hit us at the core of faith because without faith, it's impossible what? We have to have a revelation of the glory of God in the person of Christ at the level of conviction. And that's the work of the Holy Ghost. That's where we're going. And this is what our master is doing with them. He's shaking them up so that they too understand the absolute necessity of the third person. He's shaking them up so that they too might understand the absolute necessity of the third person. Do you agree that we need him? Right. Whenever he wants to, he can back up one step and let you run on your own intellect and you will fall flat on your face. God sent the son because we needed him. The son is sending the Holy Ghost because we need him. And what he's doing is cultivating the hearts of these these disciples. And by the time we get to chapter 16, you know what they're going to say? Now we know that you have come from God and that you are returning again to God. Why? Because Christ is cultivating their heart with these deep realities of the need for the spirit of God and clarifying and confirming in their soul that he must be the one operating in their life. And by the way, he's operating there in their life now via Christ's words. And I would hope that the spirit of God is operating right now in some of your hearts as well, because he works through teaching to do that. Mark these words, because this is where Jesus begins to speak to the disciples. Over in verse uh, 14, uh, verse 12, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall also do. You see that? And greater works than these shall he what? Isn't that a great promise? But here's the qualifier. Are you ready? Because I go to my father. See it? I would mark that if you are an exegete, I would mark right there that if God is going to do something in my life bigger than who I am, greater than who I am, it's going to be because he goes to the father. 
So what he's letting the disciples know is you guys are going to impact the world. You are going to make a major dent in the world in terms of its knowledge of God, but it's only going to happen because I go to my father. Y'all got that? Because I go to my father. Now he's getting ready to introduce the third person in terms of his missional and apostolic work. He says over in verse 13, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do in order that the father may be what? Glorify in the son. The union of glorification. Now we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The purpose for which Christ will go back to glory is in order that the father would be glorified through the what? Son. See, with the three persons of the Godhead, unlike you and me, glorification for them is never about one single person in the Godhead. It's always about the three because they are a community and they operate in love and they operate in unity and they operate in harmony. And where the son is glorified, the father is glorified. And where the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified. And where the Holy Spirit is glorified, the Son is glorified. And where the Holy Spirit is glorified, the Father is glorified. Are you guys hearing me? It's never individual glory. And that is what you and I were taught in Philippians 2. Let every man look on the things of others, right? Let this mind be in you that was also what? In Christ Jesus. It's going to take the third person for you and I to act like the second person. It's going to take the third person for you and I to act like the second person. You don't need the third person just to come to church and pretend to be religious. You need the third person to actually demonstrate the grace of humility by which you love others beyond yourself. You need the third person. And this is the problem with many folks in church. Are y'all hearing me? No helper. Here he comes. Here he comes. Verse 16, verse 15. If you love me, keep my what? And I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter. Do you see it? And I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may be with you for what? Ah, I love it. I love it. I'm compelled to do a little explaining here because people just run roughshod over the scriptures. When he says another comforter, you know what that meant? That meant that Jesus was there as their comforter. Are y'all following me so far? I want to help you because I actually said it in terms and phrases that if you knew grammar, you would get it. A simple definition of the word comforter means helper. But the idea of the helper has much more of a complex meaning than the fact that he has helped and helper. But I'll be glad for God to be my helper. On any day, God can be my Ebenezer. How about you? He can prop me up. He can hold me up. God can defend me. God can be my helper at all times. And I don't mind the simple term helper. Do you? Here is the humility of God in the person of Christ and in the person of the Holy Ghost because the term helper was first used in the Genesis narrative concerning Adam. How that God would make a helper for him in order that he would fulfill his task in that complementarian relationship, not the competing relationship. That's what we do in marriages. I'm talking the complementarian relationship where a wife is really a helper to her husband that he can't get the job done without her. You and I can't get the job done without Christ. We can't get the job done without the Holy Ghost. And he has chosen to not get the job done without us. Ooh. Now, do you understand how exalting the term helper is now? And according to the Bible, we are Christ's helper, are we not? Why? Because we're the bride. He's the husband. 
And this is where we're going in terms of the purpose of the third person, the Holy Spirit. Now, notice what it says. I will send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And he begins to describe him in verse 17 this way. Even the spirit of what? Mm. The spirit of truth. Right. So here becomes one of the clarifying objectives of the third person as a comforter. He's sent to you because you need help. Just get over it. You need help. You in such bad shape. You need help. God looked down before he even made you and said, that girl need help. He looked down on that brother, said, brother, so raggedy, he need help. We, he said to the son and to the Holy Ghost, we got to help them. Because if we don't help them, they just going to mess everything up, right? And so we go, help, Lord, help me. Come and help me. If all I got to do is just ask for help, I know how to do that. I got a third grade education, and here we go. Help, Lord. And if you see it with a humble heart, the next thing you know, God is sending his angels, his providence, his power, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. He's making a way out of no way for you. He's busting over open strongholds. He's overcoming hurdles and barriers for you because the Lord is a strong tower to everyone that runs therein for help. He is a man of war. He knows how to get the job done. You need him. And this is what Christ is saying. But we have not developed the whole catalog of what it means for him to be your comforter. But I'm touching on a little bit of it for today. The apostolic work, the role of the Holy Ghost being sent is to be rushed to your aid. Rushed to your aid. Did you get that? Rushed to your aid. Will you notice how this worked? And, and I don't have time, but I will touch on it because some of you have enough working knowledge to, to, to make the follow through syllogistically. It took thousands of years for the son of God to be incarnate, didn't it? God created the world, made mankind, man rebelled and fell, didn't he? It's part of the doctrine in verse 13 we'll get to in chapter 16 in a moment. But it took thousands of years for God to come incarnate. Is that right? In the meanwhile, his spirit was working and and hovering and keeping and God was working through patterns and promises and pictures, wasn't he? He was saving people. But he was saving them on credit, wasn't he? Because the son had not yet come to actually redeem us by his shed blood. The incarnation would still be necessary. So we walk by faith in the Old Testament and things to come. Today we are walking by faith in things that have already come. Would you agree with that? We are post-cross Christians walking in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Old Testament saints looking for the lamb, looking for the lamb, looking for the lamb. Took thousands, tens of thousands of years. The Bible says he came in the fullness of time, made of a woman, born under the law to redeem them that were under the curse of the law. But let me tell you how how significant the third person's sending is. It wasn't but 50 days after Jesus rose again that he sent the third person. So the father sends the first person after 10, 11, 12, 13,000 years, sends the second person. But the second person sends the third person just 50 days later on Pentecost. Are y'all hearing me? Can I tell you why? Because we desperately need help. We couldn't go another 13,000 years with Jesus in glory, as tore up as we are. 
I'm getting ready to go to work a little bit on the mission of the Holy Spirit as an apostle because you, you need to understand how precious it is that God would send somebody after you. That he would send somebody to get your raggedy tail. That he would have such an intelligence scheme from his satellite and glory, he would know what hole you in. Right? And come bust that hole wide open and drop his helicopter down and pick up your soul. Not only pick you up, make you born again. Save you by his grace. That's the role of the helper. That's the role of the helper. Lord, I need help. The people listening to me need help. We need your help. And every day I act outside of your help, I know it. I have no power. I have no grace. I have no strength. I have no tenacity. I have no guidance. I have no wisdom. Everything I touch, I will mess up if it wasn't for your grace. Everything I touch, I would mess up if it wasn't for your grace. If you don't have someone wiser than me, with greater clarity than me, speaking into my head and keeping my head straight, keeping me going the right direction, Lord, I would go off track every day all day long. I need your helper. Right. I need him. And you need him too. You need him too. And here's what he says. Even the spirit of truth. Now it's just to be marked quickly that there are two kinds of spirits in the world, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And you and I are operating out of one or the two. Either the spirit of truth that's keeping you and guiding you into all the truth, as verse 13 of chapter 16 will say, we'll get there in a moment. Or you are going off course every day of your life incrementally because you're led by the spirit of error. Do you hear me? The spirit of error. And the spirit of error never abides in the truth. Only two spirits in the world. Did y'all hear that? First John chapter four made it very clear. There are two spirits in the world, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And you know the spirit of error because the spirit of error never, ever honors the father nor honors the son, nor honors God's word. Did you hear what I just stated? The spirit of error is all about self. It's all about what's down here. It's all about now. It's all about getting mine. That's the spirit of error. The spirit of error operates out of the lust of the flesh, out of the pride of life, right? Out of the lust of the eye. The spirit of error operates out of those principles. Self-gratification is the spirit of error. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It is completely contrary to the Father. It has nothing of the attributes or characteristics of the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. And those of us who have the spirit of truth, we quickly pick up on the spirit of error because of the gift of discernment. We quickly pick up on it in terms of discerning instinctively that this does not sound like my daddy. Uh. Now, it feels good. Right? Right? It feels good, but it don't sound like my daddy. Now I got a conflict because I like how it feels, but there's an illumination going on in my mind because the helper is there saying, no, the helper is going, no, the helper will never affirm evil. He will never affirm wrong. He will never affirm that which does not glorify God. In order for me to actually yield to my carnality, I have to say no to him who is telling me to say no to it. And this is why so many Christians are caught up in error because they're not being led by the Spirit. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're walking in the flesh. And you and I have already had a long conversation about how the Holy Ghost knows how to back up just long enough for you to bump your head (laughs) until you start taking Proverbs 3, 5 seriously. 
What is Proverbs 3, 5? Like, what is John 3, 16? Like, what is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? I have such an ignorant generation of Christians today. Long ago, everybody knew Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And that's all we do is lean on this thing because we're not operating on the spirit of God. Do you guys hear me? We make wrong decisions and it creates wrong choices that lead to wrong outcomes. And those wrong outcomes become a pattern. Those patterns become a habit. Those habits become a way of life. And the next thing you know, we're in hell. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, right? That's because we're not being helped. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768. Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again. For directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.